Welcome to B2B Impact by BDB. Join me, Matt Smith, CEO of BDB, and Oliver Brewood, BDB's Head of Digital and Technology, as we get together to discuss the myriad of trends, topics, opportunities, and developments in the world of B2B marketing and communications. Our aim is to arm you with content, opinions, and insights that deliver lasting and meaningful impact across the B2B community, helping the global businesses and brands we partner with navigate their way through the information and communication revolution. Are you ready to make an impact? Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the B2B Impact. Um, I think with the current events that are going on in the world, it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge the atrocities and the issues that are currently going on between the Ukraine and Russia. Um, whilst we don't want to spend too long on the topic, it was more about acknowledging, I guess, the disruption that it's having globally at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also thrown up quite a few interesting issues around um, data, digitization, security, infrastructure. So um, as well as the, the, the changing tides, I guess, and the, the perception of the public and the pressure it's putting on businesses and brands to make some pretty big decisions. So um, what are your key thoughts, Ollie, this week in terms of what you've seen over the developing last couple of weeks, I guess? As the... Well, I was chatting to, to the uh, team about it here just the other day. And I think one of the kind of key things that comes up, like you touched on there, is security. Mm-hmm. And I think it just shows like how fragile everything can be with regards to we all know that the prospect of being uh, kind of hacked has been a, mm-hmm. a pretty common thing to, to be happening for I don't know I say the last sort of five years yeah. now with some of the big high profile like Sony and mm-hmm. and uh, so on getting hacked in the last sort of few years so we've all known that's a thing it's obviously been happening more in the last sort of week or so and I know we've also faced clients that have had that sort of like form of issue to some extent in the past as well with regards to you know, just having viruses placed on the sites or having data stolen, things like that. So it just does, I think it's it's obviously not particularly changing anything. I'm not saying because of what's going on at the moment that mm-hmm. you're about to get hacked, but I think it helps bring it to front of mind no, that does, these absolutely. sort of things can happen. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you realize that there are, well, generally some simple steps that everybody should be taking security-wise. I would say people are generally quite lax with. Yeah. Not all of our clients are, but I'd say a lot of people are quite lax with it. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things, isn't it? I guess it's if you've never been subject to it it's one of the i don't know it's things like you, yeah. you think about your own insurance and you think you have at home and various products it's easy to think it's a 0.01 percent chance yes. until it's you that is the victim of it Absolutely. and then you realize how important it is forevermore yeah and in, in terms of those the, the tips and i guess some of the basics people can be thinking about so they can i guess mitigate or reduce the risk as much as they can against um the cyber security hacking threats is, is is there something you can share off the top of your head or things that you could yeah so i think obviously it very much depends on your own infrastructure uh, and you know how much data you actually have that's you know you're afraid of or, or how much you need to worry about your own system mm-hmm. stability things like that but i think first one is, re- is really speaking to things like hosting providers and, mm-hmm. and whoever else manages your infrastructure to make sure that it has actually got the, um, good security practices sure. in place obviously there'll be unique settings that can be configured for for um, whatever your infrastructure might be that who knows may or may not be on at the moment. I know in many cases of projects that I've worked on in the past from a website point of view, uh, in some cases, simple security settings wouldn't be enabled by default. And okay. it's just a case of, in some of those cases, might be speaking to your hosting provider and saying, what security options should we be enabling? Are mm. there any that aren't currently on that could be turned on? Sure. Taking it down to the very uh, simple scale, if you've just got some things like WordPress sites, for example, mm-hmm. there are simple plugins that you can install that will help make it more secure. And you can obviously then start thinking about password security, which is more on making sure that 
you know, users are being responsible, making sure that you've not got old passwords in there that have been, you know, the same passwords for ages and that you are using proper levels of password security. And is it also an opportunity to audit your suppliers? Like we have to be, you know, as an agency provider to other businesses and brands yeah. that we work with globally when we've got to do that. Well, to some extent, every supplier you work with is an extra layer of vulnerability mm -hmm. and therefore needs to be considered. So any organization that's been through sort of uh, an information security process and has has that kind of documentation in place will know how important it is to consider you know, hundreds of different measures uh, that you also find a lot, you also find a lot in those situations so, so we have to do a lot a lot of the, the the data compliance and integrity checks and so on but i guess a lot of it's kind of based on blind faith and trust isn't it to an extent because it's more have you got these in place yeah your supplier says and signs off on it um, and then you've ticked the box kind of internally with procurement and your IT or data yeah. security team. But I don't know, maybe a more robust audit of the suppliers at times might be required to make sure these kind of things are in place yeah. as well. I mean, not that I'd like to invite it because it's all a no, lengthy no. process. Yeah. But I would say, I think a lot of the contracts that we've signed and that uh, other companies that have had their suppliers sign will say things like, we have the right to audit you. Mm -hmm. How often they actually get exercised is is another matter. You don't entirely. see it very often. I know I, in, in all the businesses and brands we work, we don't see it very often at all. But as you say, yes, yeah, certainly not to invite them upon us, but it's certainly something yeah. um, to be mindful of as you're going through. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly not something to be taken for granted because, like I say, it, it's all easy to ignore until it's, it's your website that's got an issue or your platform that's got an issue. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're losing revenue over it. And that one of the, one of the other things I think we were discussing offline before we before we kicked off recording was around, I guess, public perception and pressure on businesses and brands. And it's not particularly B two B. This I guess it's definitely involves B two B businesses, but it's more macro. I guess for people to be ceasing relationships with Russia, dropping mm -hmm. supply to or supply or, or buying purchasing products or services from Russia, um, and you're seeing that kind of snowball effect. Of, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a. Well, I think it's interesting. I think we've seen multiple levels of this in the past, and mm -hmm. some of this might be inaccurate, and somebody can feel free to correct me if they think I'm wrong. Sure. But um, I say, from a sort of a sustainability standpoint, for example, obviously that's been a growing issue over the years, and mm -hmm. we know it's not going anywhere now. But I'd argue a lot of that sort of kicked off off the back of like seeing a photo of a turtle with a straw up its nose, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, plastic straws are completely gone. Yep. And I feel like that was a sort of a knee-jerk reaction to something that resulted in a lot of public pressure. Yep. And all of a sudden, huge global organizations are making changes. And as soon as some of those organizations start making changes, there's a lot of pressure for other organizations to start making changes. Well, I guess the flip side of that is, yeah, I guess that's positive change to an extent regardless, isn't it? You know, in terms of using the straw example or whatever it is. But yeah, sustainability has certainly grown legs and gathered pace. And I think there's almost... Cause it, it can only have a positive impact for businesses and brands kind of adopting a more sustainable stance and being more conscious around their sustainability efforts. But with something like this, when it's such a negative, hmm. um, a, a negative kind of feature, I guess, across the news at the minute, I, you wonder whether the permanence of the damage this is going to have across certain businesses and brands as the knee-jerk reactions are made to withdraw and pull out and source some other alternatives and whether we're going to end up even more siloed than ever in a way, rather than looking like an international global businesses and brands that yeah. you're very much watching the news at the minute it's US and Europe isn't it and then you know uh, yeah and it's, and it's an interesting so. one I'd, I'd argue uh, as I'm sure everybody listening to this knows we're not well <laughs> qualified to talk about the actual politics behind it so obviously I guess what we're trying to do is effectively force Russia to back down in this situation mm -hmm. but it's it's got some big and far-reaching ramifications yeah. and I think it's funny how you sort of um, you looked at like BP, for example, if anybody's not aware, BP had a stake in, in I think it's a, a Russian national oil company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
state-owned company and they sort of had a 20% stake and they chose to exit that one. I first saw that news um, that they were having pressure power on them to exit. I thought they're not going to look at their bottom line and yeah. see, I'm not going to lose 20%. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, they've actually gone ahead and uh, started putting plans in place to actually do it, which uh, for me is just showing how much public pressure is is piling on. Yeah. You're seeing uh, FIFA 2022 is in Electronic Arts. The, the game are removing Russia from the game and there's yeah. there's all sorts of yeah, things are happening just because of the amount of public pressure, which... I guess that's the overall all in to throttle and stifle Russia so, so they do back down so they haven't got the means or the, the, the wherewithal to continue with their yeah. atrocities currently committing, I guess. But, but then some of them, it's harming. Like, the one I found slightly odd was like, Apple, I think, have blocked Apple Maps, for example, in Russia. Yeah. Whereas that's, I suppose that's really just putting pressure on consumers to put pressure on the Russian government. But then if you're in a Russian person that's you know just going about your daily life and you're bought a phone and mm-hmm. now some of the features don't work on it anymore you'd be pretty miffed wouldn't you yeah yeah no absolutely it's going to make them more and more cut off from the world generally isn't it i guess mm. as a result of this and certainly depending on how long it goes on for and i'm not gonna i'm certainly definitely not gonna get stuck into making any predictions there after our covid <laughs> podcast from way back when <laughs> where we mentioned we thought yeah it's a flash in the pan certainly wasn't was it so um yeah as i say i think it was remiss of us not to acknowledge it and talk about some of the issues it's certainly going to create um for businesses and brands on a global scale but um yeah we'll swiftly move on from that one um i guess one of the things we've been looking at recently um linkedin put a piece of content out which is obviously fairly biased towards linkedin um but there's also some some quite interesting topics and trends within there um called recharge your marketing 2022 for those that might not have stumbled across it yet in one of their posts or uh, or maybe somebody sharing it through a blog post or something there are some quite interesting topics in there Mm -hmm. um it's 30, 40 pages long, I think, to sort of work your way through. But for, certainly for the B2B businesses and brands out there, I would recommend um, familiarising yourself with it. And it makes some predictions for the year ahead of some of the issues um, that are facing. One of the ones that we thought was more interesting to touch on today was kind of um, around commitment issues um, for brands, particularly around creative. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give us an overview, Ollie, of what you kind of uh, saw there and then we can sort yeah. of bring it to life for the guys? So effectively, the, um, somebody from the uh, B2B Institute has has done some some research in terms of the kind of longevity and effectiveness of, of creative and, and summing up the article in a few words is, is effectively that, um, believe it or not, the longer and more committed you are to your creative, the more impact it's going to have and the more return on investment you're going to be seeing from it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think what, what we're largely seeing across the marketplace is that B2B brands don't seem to be that consistent and they, they have commitment issues as, mm-hmm. as is the title of the article uh, and tend to more chop and change what they're doing or yeah. or have disjointed creative that runs to different audiences and, and things like that. Do you think that's driven by the fact there are so many different stakeholders and audience groups and causes to support these days because I guess way back when in simpler times when there wasn't as many channels and there wasn't as many uh, platforms and there weren't as many different initiatives like sustainability like CSR like your employer brand which is an important thing to kind of focus on now then you've got your, your corporate brand then you've got campaign led activity then you've got different markets and you've got different products and you've got different geographies so it's it's for, for the businesses and brands we work with on the global scale there's so many facets to a brand that the creative particularly when you've got different owners of brands in different territories yeah. It can become disparate exceptionally quickly. I think for the most part, a lot of that would exist in a B2C organization too. Yeah. The one that it keeps coming to my mind is, is Coca-Cola. <laughs> Not sponsored. Yeah. Incredibly consistent um, with the way they approach things in, in terms of things like their logo barely changes. And when they do come up with a new logo, you know, 
unless you're, you're really good at recognising different logos, you won't know much difference in it. There's usually a very small change. Um, whereas, I, I guess from my experience, I don't think the creator I've seen across B2B does have that much longevity behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I, I guess the other aspect isn't only longevity, but how, how widely it is applied. So are you using it across all your channels? Yep. Or have you run a YouTube campaign that's been great and successful in its own right, but you're not really applying the same type of creative? It doesn't mean the same actual advert or the same actual content, yep. but just having the same, I guess, being part of the same campaign to, to different channels. And I do feel like when I've seen a B2B campaign in general that does go a bit further and is more creative, mm-hmm. it it does feel more like it's either not got legs behind it to be adapted. And I think that's a key point is to make sure that if you're going to come up with a really creative idea, it's got legs to what do you do next? Mm-hmm. I think we saw um, there's a, a really great example for, uh, for Volvo of, the, of uh, Jean, Jean-Claude Van Damme video. Oh, yeah, if you've yes, not seen yeah. it, just look up the Jean-Claude Van Damme Volvo video. It's great. It's a B2B focused ad. Um, where they've got that obviously great celebrity in there mm-hmm. um, great and I said it comes out he's done anything wrong and then not so great yeah it's <laughs> as far as I know at the minute it's really changed, changed a bit there. <laughs> um, but uh, it's really great creative but you know how how do you follow up from something like that mm-hmm. um, and the answer is I think it's, it's very hard to because it's such a flash in the pan yeah. I think we see that as well with some of our clients you'll see a lot of kind of boring LinkedIn posts for example where they've got just like stock photos yeah and then at some point they'll come up with some great creative idea, and that will be you know the flavor of the month for a month or so. But they almost get lost in the lost in the feed, don't they? I yeah. think you do see that where they come up with the, um, clients and prospects and other people that we follow and track and so on. Um, but I think the the brands, the business of brands that get it right, that as you say, like even taking Coca Cola, there's always those consistent brand assets that are coming through. Yeah. So whether it's the logo, the color palette. You, you can see something on LinkedIn instantly recognize certain brands, can't you? And that's where yeah. the magic gets right. And all that, the creative and the actual campaign content may vary from uh, post to post. But I, I think it, I do think it's more around the global application of it and the cascade of that brand and the cascade of that concept. I know B2B companies are often quite siloed in that regard, aren't they? So, you can, yeah. Like you say, they can have different divisions located in different countries that might have completely different messaging and i think the way they're structured often doesn't really lend well to consistency if you've got a hundred marketing managers spread across the globe and you give them a toolkit and your templates and you can give them all you can give them all the assets you you want to will them to be consistent and create that cohesive brand but i think you know the reality of the situation is incredibly difficult to control Mm -hmm. and police um, which is why you do see disparate elements creeping out across different platforms and uh, even i mean a great example probably is exhibition stands which I think is always interesting that across the European stands, they have one kind of flavor. US quite often has a different kind of flavor to the brands and the way they yeah. appear. And then when you start going to kind of South America and further afield into China, they're unrecognizable. You wouldn't even know they're a, um, I'm trying not to say a particular name here, but you know, you like even a, a client, name, X, client X, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that they are uh, even linked in any way. So you could yeah. completely lose any kind of brand equity or any kind of- I don't know, in some cases where we've had clients with that sort of problem it's it sometimes come from the fact that they might have acquired a company in north america yeah. and that's got its own customer base its own way of doing things and and the kind of corporate brand name hasn't really filtered down to that level yeah and it can come off the back of acquisitions it can come off the back of consolidation of different business entities there's, there's a lot of different reasons for it um but and, and, the, and, and also to an extent different suppliers 
Because I yeah. think you can get different agencies and different creative supplies in different territories because you may want to use feet on the ground. But again, that can lead to a really inconsistent approach. We can yeah. make it look like you've got commitment issues, as LinkedIn uh, called yeah. it in their, in their article. But you then jump off creative and jump into a new campaign yeah. because something else has come across this. And I guess that happens to us at times. You know, with some of our clients, we, we are one of several agencies that they use. Yeah. And I guess in those situations, it's key to try and push beyond it it being us and them it's to try and make mm -hmm. sure that you're all working together cohesively if you're if you're kind of involved in the same sort of areas yeah i think one one uh, company the article does highlight that, that has done a good job at it is musk as okay. in musk the logistics company mm -hmm. in case it's not clear and everyone's not heard of it that's m-a-e-r-s-k you'll mm -hmm. see that on lorries and vans and ships i'm sure mm -hmm. at some point or another apparently they've got um quite a, a, a recognizable um, and standardized kind of creative ethos that just means that it's applied quite consistently across uh, different channels and all the different marketing activity. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, um, they're seeing really good ROI off the back of that creative right. just because they've really committed to it. Nice. Uh, I also noticed which wasn't particularly mentioned within the, um, the piece of content which referred to from LinkedIn, but LinkedIn have also launched their own podcast network this week, um, which is, Quite an interesting move for the platform, I guess. So they've, they've effectively built, and you can find it online and find various articles on it, but their own, almost like housing, you know, like a bit like an Anchor or a Spotify. But, mm. So you can post directly onto the LinkedIn Spotify, sorry, the LinkedIn uh, podcast network. And they're trying to build, build this idea of building community more around it. Mm -hmm. So rather than just going on and listening to a podcast and taking it in, then you can connect through LinkedIn to the speakers or to the people that feature on the podcast and then continue to build a relationship with them through further engagement and, and content being shared mm -hmm. so where do you stand on podcasts at the minute obviously it's like a bit meta given we're sat here doing one <laughs> but for us for us the purpose of doing the podcast was always very much around getting content out quickly to our clients so if we'd seen something that was interesting we wanted to bring something to you and help you navigate the b2b marketing landscape as we've always said and that was our sole purpose. You know, we're not trying to rank one on iTunes. That's not the point of this. It's purely for our clients and, mm -hmm. and any prospects that find us. But where, where do you stand, I guess, on podcasts as, as part of the marketing communications mix at the minute? Do you think they've still got legs? Do you think? Uh, I think podcasts around? are a really good way of sharing thoughts and ideas in, in that they're relatively easy to put together. Grab a couple of mics and you, you can get going basically straight away. I'd even argue one mic might do it if you yeah. <laughs> position it well. You just play around a little bit with the tech, but it's really not that arduous to put together. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, uh, you can just start getting ideas shared with your audiences. Yep. And I'd argue near enough, everybody's got ideas that are, are, are worth mm -hmm. sharing yep. and that merit sharing. So whether that's getting you know, some, some of your R&D experts around the table start talking about things that that be of interest to clients or in our case sharing that kind of marketing information that's hopefully of interest to the clients i listen to all sorts of podcasts for, from kind of marketing related to sales related to kind of more operations related and they just all give you other people's perspectives other people's issues mm -hmm. that you take what you want from it don't you Absolutely. some of them you'll go like that is excellent that's a great point that really resonates with a challenge i could have now or could have in the future mm -hmm. and it'll help me solve it and other things you go like okay that's interesting but it's not for me mm -hmm. and you can pick and choose which episodes you listen to you don't have to listen to them all mm -hmm. but they're a great quick easy way of getting content out there if you try and write the same piece of content i think it's guaranteed it's going to take you at least 10 times as long sure. to produce it takes a long time to write things down and will people listen to, like actually read the full piece of content i don't yeah. know i think for me at least I'm, I'm much more inclined to listen to a half hour podcast than i am read uh, an article that can be the same amount of content. 
Yeah, that's a link. That might be my attention span issue, but I'd, find that, <laughs> I'd say that applies to more than just me. No link to that point. Yeah, I think I think I consume more audio. I tend to buy a book, but then I'll audio book, listen to it alongside yeah. having the physical book. I still like to have the actual book. The same kind of principle, I guess, of stealing 20 minutes here and there um, where you can on the, on the drive home or when you're at the gym or on the treadmill, which has, has been a while. I know you. And it's one for me. Uh, obviously, I think, I can't remember what year podcasts sort of came out, but I think it was, I'm going to say like 2007, 2008, sometime around. It took a long time to gather pace yeah. and gather But I would say that in, immediately it felt like there was quite a lot of noise around it. Yeah. And then I kind of felt like they went away. And I don't know if that's in my perception, but I felt like I went years without anybody massively talking about podcasts. I think Ricky Gervais originally had one of the biggest podcasts yeah, at did. the start. And I was a big listener to that. And then it just felt like, I don't, I don't know what years, but I'm going to say from sort of 2010 to 14, I didn't really hear people talking about podcasts no, much. No. But do you and think, then at do some think point that, after that, they snowball and everybody's got a podcast. But do, well, do you think, I, I guess that's linked to the point. Do you think now they are so mass market that they, I don't mean losing their appeal, because you've obviously got people like Joe Rogan and some of the key podcasts that obviously got huge listener and uh, listeners now uh, and numbers, but... If you were, a, I'll stick to B2B, if you're a B2B business or brand, and I'm seeing some of our clients, some of our prospects starting to podcast, the concern is for me that it's just noise if you're not careful. I if, think you've got that argument with, the same with content, mm-hmm. there's so much content out there. I guess what I'd say is that with a podcast, I think it's okay to be niche. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have a lot of people listening to you and you don't need to have mass appeal. What you need to have is deliver value and find your right audience. So you're going to be number one or even a number one business podcast? No, not unless you're talking about you know being the entrepreneur that's going to get yeah. uh, a ton to millions within years, uh, yeah. within our year. That sounds more impressive. Yeah. Years. Um, but I think for our sort of B two B audiences, what you should be looking to do is add value to your prospective customers, to your clientele. I think it can tie into that customer success trend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just about trying to get the, that niche and important content in front of in front of your audience. So. Yes. I, think, I think that's where if you can link the podcast to people's pain points, so that so I guess the relevant point here for us, the pain point of most of our clients and most of the contacts we've got within our clients is the volume of information, the pressure that's placed on people, the speed things are changing at the minute, which is why we're making this podcast focus on things, topical things that we think are relevant, that might have relevance in your space to bring to your attention in a relatively quick, snappy manner. With a quick overview, you can go and do some research afterwards into it if you want to and obviously reach out to us for a discussion. That's kind of our stance on it to aid with our clients' pain points. Trying to, if you are thinking of doing a podcast yourself, focus in on that. So what do your, yeah. what are your stakeholders struggling with? What do they want to hear about? And, uh, and do a bit of research as well, what's already out there. Cause, I, I suspect in most cases there probably isn't a lot out there. If you start, I found this... Even with marketing, if you look at B2B marketing, there aren't a lot of quality B2B marketing podcasts. I agree. I'd, I'd argue there's very few. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's marketing. That's common. If you start thinking about some of our clients' industries, they're going to be much more niche. So there's more of that space there. And even within that, hopefully this doesn't work against us, but whether or not you gel with somebody's personality matters much more with a podcast than it does in an article. Yeah. Can people stand to listen to your voice for half an hour? Yeah. From, from that point of view, I think that it means that there's there's room for variety. Even mm. if there are other podcasts out there that are excellent, it doesn't mean that that one's for everybody. No. And there's still space for you to, to carve your own kind of voice in that, in that space. And do you think there's opportunities for B2B business brands to consider sponsorship of podcasts and things like that as well? Because obviously the, the podcasts that I listen to are now littered with sponsorships and advertisements and so on that are creeping in more more often, I would say, across the podcasts that I listen to. There seems to be two or three sponsors now per yeah. pod, per one-hour podcast that you listen to. Yeah. Um, 
but I guess in certain sectors and certain areas that our, our clients and prospects work within, it could be something to consider as well, particularly with the LinkedIn side of things, which are more business focused. I think it comes prospects. down to yeah, how many listers there are and how prevalent it is, how popular it is. Because mm -hmm. I think when you start listening to, for example, a marketing podcast, yeah. and you know it's got a, a decent um, audience, a, de a decent audience size to it, then it makes sense for things like marketing tools mm -hmm. to, to have adverts in the podcast because the people listening to it are marketers. And when they hear about a new SEO tool or whatever it might be, yeah. then they can, you know, there's a very high chance that they'll go, oh, that's something I might be interested in. Yeah. So again, if I think there's space for that, but it is going to come down to how big that audience gets. So I suppose that might be a barrier to it because yeah. if you're only going to get in front of 10 people, you're not going to want to pay for placements. No, and I think, yeah, I think it's a good point. It's a key consideration at the minute, I think, to, to have it on the table as part of the marketing mix to be thinking about. But then maybe it shouldn't be a, a case of talking about paid sponsorships at the minute. Maybe it should be more co-content creation. Absolutely. So if you've got, uh, you know, a, a potential partnership opportunity there that you would have liked to have them as an advertising uh, partner, instead, why not just have that kind of joint conversation with them and you mutually get in front of each other? I think particularly audiences. that cross-pollination of audiences, yeah. So if you can jump on somebody else's podcast, add value to their audience group, pull listeners across to your space, mm -hmm. um, and particularly in the sectors that our clients work with, with them being relatively niche, as you say, I think there's a real opportunity there for that kind of collaboration where I appreciate there's competition, um, but that where you can add value through bringing in real high value speakers or thought yeah. leaders within your respective space. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our clients work with academics, so they could have an academic person appear on a podcast. Mm -hmm. You've got, uh, if you're a manufacturer, you could have distributors come in and bring in some of the examples of pain points that mm -hmm. they've, they're hearing more about if they're a bit closer to the, to the end user, same vice versa. So I think there's a lot of different ways you could think about partners that you could have on your podcast that aren't just bringing in a competitor or just somebody that manufactures something along the same lines as you, but maybe they've got a different take on it and they're not a direct competitor, but it might be a complementary aspect. Yeah, yeah. And I think to wrap up on this point, because I'm um, conscious we've gone on a podcast for a while, but it's, it's, it's a very worthwhile topic. Just, just think of the purpose of why you're doing it. You shouldn't be doing it to keep up with the Joneses or because your competitor's done one or because you think it's cool or you want to be on Spotify. It, the driving purpose behind why you're doing it, which might be to add value, it might be to generate leads, it could be to build brand awareness, whatever your objectives are, have them at the forefront of your considerations as you would with any other marketing tactic along the way, I guess. Um, I think that's us for this week. Ollie, unless you've got anything else to add? Yeah, that's all. So thanks very much for joining us on the B2B Impact. Uh, we'll spend the next uh, week or so trawling the news, trying to find more uh, B2B articles, topics, news, releases um, that we can bring to your attention. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Otherwise, we will see you very soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks.